you coming out? <laughs> I only come out at night. All right. <laughs> How are you, Ray? I'm all right. I'm fine. Just obviously it's, it's quite late in France, but I'm all right. Well, this makes a very pleasant change. Seven o'clock in the morning here in in Incheon in South Korea. Ocean looks nice and calm. Little spot of fishing, I reckon, in an hour or two. So, yeah. Apparently fishing over here is a kind of like an old man's hobby. No one does it unless they're sort of about 60 or 70, but... Um, You're getting some practice in. I'm getting some practice in. Yeah, I must be the youngest guy there by about 20 years. Yeah. Mike, Mike, Ma- Ma- you'll not meet any young women, young <laughs> eligible women, you know, if you're going fishing with 70-year-old blokes. Well, I tell you what, though, Ray, I tell you what, as well as... um older ajoshi or older men it's quite uh quite the coming hobby for uh, young ladies as well all right oh yeah yeah absolutely i can if you go to youtube and uh you can find all of these um these youtube channels set up by um beautiful korean girl anglers i don't want to know what's coming next (laughs) no 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 (laughs) of course okay so um Ray, whenever you're ready and you've got everything in position, yeah, I'm ready, man. I'm ready. You are you are an extremely loud typer, I have to say. No, it's because I've got my um, it's my microphone. It picks up anything. Yeah, and mine does too, which um, causes quite a lot of editing issues. So get all of your websites lined up. I'm lined up. I'm lined up with my. Uh, don't worry, mate. I'm. I've, Yes, I've got I've got what I need. Okay, good. Okay, good. All right, uh, chaps. So um, I'm just going to do a quick intro and then let's jump in. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Welcome everyone to the very latest episode of the Bolt from the Blue podcast, and we're celebrating a very valuable win for City against the Wolf at uh, Molyneux. And to help me uh, go through this, we have. Uh, the two usual suspects. First of all, we have Colin Savage, aka Presswitch Blue. How are you doing, Colin? Oh, good. I'm. Uh, I've got a few days off work, so I've got two short weeks, so I'm quite happy. Awesome, awesome. And we also have that man Ray from City Fan TV. How are you doing, Ray? I'm doing very well, thank you, uh, Michael. Uh, very well indeed. Uh, mm-hmm. The weather's cooling down now. It's been very, very hot this, uh, this last month in France. And at last, it's uh, down to the low 20s. Guys, this podcast is coming to you from um, France and England and South Korea. So you can't really get a more international, um, global podcast uh, than this one. Um, Let's uh, take a look at uh, at the lineups going into this game because um, they were interesting. I'm just going to quickly, quickly run through um, Portugal's 11, sorry, Wolves' 11, which is uh, Rui Patricio, Willy Boli, Cody Saiz, uh, Adama Traore, the you know the tormentor of Man City, and then Neves, Moutinho, uh, Marcal. He didn't last very long. Daniel Podence, never even heard of him before this game, guys, but we certainly knew about him after the game. We had uh, Jimenez and Pedro Neto. And for City, and this is what we're mostly interested in, Ederson, Walker, Stones and Nathan Ake as the centre-back partnership with uh, Benjamin Mendy on the left. And then the double pivot, Fernandinho and Rodri um, with uh, Phil Foden, KDB, Raheem and Gabby J. And on the bench, interesting, Zach Steffen for the first time. And Ferran Torres, Riyad Mahrez uh, left on the bench. Otamendi, Liam Delap actually, for his... Um, First appearance on the bench in a senior game. Um, Tommy Doyle and uh, Adrian Bernabe was there. Very interesting um, lineup, Colin Savage. What did you think of that? The double pivot, the axis of uh, Stones and Ake at the back. What did you think? What was your reaction? Uh, Yeah, a bit surprised to see Stones and Ake start together. Uh, Ake obviously hasn't played for us and Stones... Seemed to be a bit out of favour, but um, that was the way it was. I mean, no surprise, Walker and Mendy, no great surprise. Uh, Fernandinho and Rodri, again, um, I think given the nature of um, our record against Wolves last season, that they are a very good team, uh, a a bit of caution from Pep didn't go amiss. 
And then phoned De Bruyne and Sterling. Gabriel Jesus pretty well picked itself, I think. Mm-hmm. What did you think, Ray? Um, yeah, I, I think most of the players, uh, as Colin said, picked themselves. Obviously, we had seven players out. Didn't leave us um, <laughs> much choice, uh, to be honest. Uh, Mares just coming back from COVID. I didn't expect him to start. Obviously, uh, some of the fanboys from Algeria uh, were on to uh, social media straight away telling Mares he needs to leave. But, I mean, the guy's, you know, had 10 days in um, self-isolation. He's not probably not fit enough uh, to start the game. Before the, you know, before they actually um, started the game, it was trying to work out how Pep was going to do this. We were just trying to work out, you know, people saying, could he play three at the back um, with wing-backs? Could he play a double pivot with Fernandinho and uh, Rodri? But he never played Fernandinho in midfield last season and it stuck with him in defence. So it was really interesting to see how it worked out. And, you know, in, in the end, he went with Fernandinho and Rodri in midfield. Mm-hmm. It was interesting because I was when it started. I was watching them, and the, and the lineup. It, I mean, it looked like a four-two-three-one, but in fact, um, Rodri was playing slightly deeper than Fernandinho, and would drop into the back into a back three when we were out of possession. Oh, sorry, in possession, and um, so it was almost. Uh, and there were times when it was um, almost a four-four-two as well. Uh, and the interesting thing for me was again when we started. Uh, De Bruyne seemed to be well out on the left. Now, now whether because uh, I mean Foden usually plays on the left, De, De Bruyne on the right, but the, the other way around um, this time, uh, mm-hmm. and De Bruyne was very much kind of backing up Sterling on the left. Whether that was to um, kind of give Mendy some cover against Traore, who we know is dangerous, I don't know. But it, it, it was interesting watching the first few minutes uh, and the way that the lineup was very fluid. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting, yeah, the way uh, Wolves lined up as well, because they had uh, Neto and Podence out wide, leaving some to consider that um, they were a little bit overrun in um, in midfield. And uh, so it turned out. Um, it was interesting. A lot of people were talking about the third kit. But um, I, I've heard from people who were actually, you know, the reporters who were in the stadium and also us watching on TV. It just looked like a white kit, basically. Um, so uh, relief all round uh, there, and of course uh, we're only two minutes in, and we had a penalty claim. Sterling <laughs> against uh, Willie Bowley and uh, Cody Connor Cody diving in there, but um, yeah, a big shout for a dive there, Ray. I think it was a huge dive. It was it was embarrassing. He deserved a yellow card. I mean, actually, in the first four minutes, Sterling had uh, was in the box three times with the ball, uh, but that that dive was it was embarrassing. If you are going to dive, I mean, but you'd have thought, I mean, Sterling came from Liverpool. I mean, the past masters of diving in the box to win penalties that are very dubious. What you don't do, in my opinion, if you're going to dive, and I don't advocate it, is dive straight. You dive at a, a bit of an angle. So you actually go near the, uh, the, 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 the defender's legs who's sliding in. Sterling didn't do that. I mean, it, it was a really poor shot. And I, I'm, I'm, for one, say, you know, if you don't give them a yellow card, then give them a ban afterwards because you know you're looking to secure a huge advantage if you get the penalty and VAR. Okay, in these days you'd expect VAR to overrule it, but it's not uh, you know foolproof VAR. But I'm I'm a big advocate of just ban them for a game and uh, see how long um, you know your diving continues because it was a poor shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colin, um, twelve minutes in. City had 80% of possession. They were zipping it around with um, gay abandon. Um, uh, and that pretty much uh, set the uh, the pattern for the whole of that um, first half. Obviously, a few, few things to talk about, but uh, they were looking gloriously comfortable. Yeah, considering it was our first game um, in a very, a very difficult stadium where we uh, lost last season when we were 2-0 up. Um, and, um, you know, we hadn't had much of a pre-season. We looked like we'd never been away. I mean, it was a that first half overall. I mean, we'll talk about some of the incidents, but um, that first half overall was devastating. was indeed. I, I, I'd say that the one thing I would qualify is, is um, in terms of pressing, it was absolutely brilliant. But I, I think we still looked a bit rusty in terms of our movement of the ball. And it mm. wasn't really till the last, till almost like the second goal that we... Um, Looked like we were returning to some sort of form, 
because I think we were we were struggling to create the sort of chances we would normally create. How much you can put down to Wolves' um, defensive abilities and how much you could put down to us being a little bit rusty, I'm not sure. But it was a bit of a... I know it, it, it sounds a bit contradictory to, in a first half where we totally and utterly dominated Wolves and they, they could barely get out of their own half. There were still things I think we didn't do as well as we could do. Oh, you're a harsh ta- taskmaster. I am, uh, I am. Uh, Colin, you certainly are. Um, uh, Ray, 19 minutes, uh, we have the penalty. And uh, it's interesting, Ray, before we talk about that, if uh, Aguero had been on the pitch, would you have still wanted De Bruyne to take it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, Aguero on penalties, I'm sorry, you know, we missed, I think last season we had 11 penalties and we missed five. Um, and, and Aguero... Throughout his career at City, he's, he's, for me, he's missed far too many penalties. Um, obviously, I remember the one against Spurs in the Champions League. That was a poor penalty. He's hit too many poor ones. Um, I think against Leicester last season, um, he had a penalty saved by Kasper Smeichel. wasn't brilliant penalty. It was a nice save, but he, he should have done better. I think he just misses too many. And KDB, um, you know, he... He doesn't take any prisoners when he takes a penalty. He hits it nice and hard. He aims for, for the corner. And for a goalkeeper to save the penalties that most penalties KDB takes, first of all, you have to dive the right way and you have to get right into the corner and you have to dive so early. I mean, sometimes I feel you'd have to dive so early that you telegraph it and you can put it on the other side. So uh, he's, he's, I think, a, a very confident penalty taker. Yes, uh, and I think um, you know Rui Patricio. He guessed right. Uh, you know he dived probably as early as he could, but he still wasn't getting near that penalty. Which, which to me was an example of if you hit a penalty right in the right spot with the right force, no goalkeeper is ever going to save it. Mm-hmm. Um, dispatched with the laser-like accuracy. How did this penalty uh, come about, uh, Colin? Test your memory here. Uh, well. Um, <laughs> There was a, a really good ball from Phil Foden mm-hmm. uh, into the box. And uh, I say we've been a bit poor about putting these balls in, but this was an absolute perler. So um, the ball from Foden was, was inside the defender, in for KDB. He, he was in the area and uh, Sice just sizing down, basically. You know, it was a ridiculous tackle because he wasn't going to shoot. Um, <laughs> wasn't he going to get the ball? <laughs> the well, ball I think it up. was. You know, uh, he would have had to stop and look up. So, um, you know, it was one of those ridiculous kind of um, almost Pavlovian lunges. And he didn't get anywhere near the ball and took, took KDB out. Yeah. The Although day. I did see on the BBC, BBC tech service, claiming De Bruyne left his leg in. <laughs> which is, a, I mean, <laughs> it was the most ridiculous comment I've, I've seen. It was a blatant penalty. No one argued. But except, but the BBC thought Kevin De Bruyne brought it cheaply. It's a bit, a bit, it's, he's not, he's not in, engaging in a bit of hokey coy, is it? Leaving his left leg in. It was, as yeah. Colin said, it was, as, it was as blatant a penalty as you want. Um, you know, Sykes was nowhere near the ball. Um, side KDB down. He, he gave him nowhere to run after he knocked the ball past him. He just uh, you know, presented his body uh, um, all over the floor, right in front of it, and KDB. And yeah. look. Now, even if KDB had wanted to, you know, he, he could have he maybe tried to leap over him, but why bother? You get the penalty, dispatch it 1 0. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the Daily Mail on there, sort of like minute by minute as it happened thing that they do, um, said that City were making Wolves look like the Toy Town under 14's third 11. <laughs> um, Honestly, uh, that first half, Mike, we made uh, them look toothless, or should I say fangless. The wolves, yeah, um, indeed. You know, we, they, 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 we we quite we basically blunted all their uh, attacking threat. Uh, even though, as Colin says, we we didn't have maybe the, the normal level of creativity that you'd expect from City. That in, a little bit of incisiveness, um, but we we pretty much controlled that first half. Indeed, Colin. And uh, twelve minutes uh, later, it was two uh, 0 Philip Foden, young Foden. Uh, describe this one for us. Uh, yeah, I mean that was a great goal, and it was—I think it was one of the, the few times really that we we came to life. Um, it, it was—I uh, think Rodri picked the ball up in our half, and he played a simple 
ball forward to, um, I think it was Phil Foden, mm-hmm. who then played in Gabriel Jesus, who flicked it off to Kevin De Bruyne, uh, who picked out Raheem Sterling, who was on the left-hand side on the of the penalty area. He was just on side. Um, Sterling got to the byline, and I thought it was a brilliant ball back. It was a very carefully considered, well-played ball because, um, you know, he could have panicked and, and put it uh, at a narrow angle, but he pulled it back. I think Phil Foden was just about on the penalty spot uh, and, and Phil did a, a Mario Baratelli and, and passed the ball into the net. So great, great goal. I, I say really one of, the, one of the few times in that first half that we'd really look like the city that we know we can be. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll we'll talk about this a little bit more when we go into the second half, uh, Ray. But um, how was how were certain players looking to you? What did you think of Nathan Ake? I mean, personally, I just thought that he, you know, he, he looked totally and utterly composed. Although yeah. people were saying that obviously he wasn't under too much pressure, didn't have a lot to do, but he looked very very cool. And so did Stones. Yeah, look, he, he was composed. He was in command. He was in control uh, at the back. I, I, I don't think. Uh, uh, Aki put a foot wrong, really, in that first half, uh, generally. Yes, you can argue he had nothing much to do, but, you know, you can only beat what's in front of you. He did what he needed to do. He got When he got the ball, he passed the ball. He was in uh, total command of his position. Um, he would bring the ball forward um, like Stones does, uh, he, in, uh, basically carrying the ball forward, um, putting it out wide to, to, to Mendy when he needed to, back to um, Edison when he needed to. It was... Simple, decisive football, and you can't argue about that. Stones, pretty much for the first half, he looked like the Stones of two or three seasons ago. You know, the game looked easy to him. Um, you know, he gets, same again, he gets the ball, nice passes. Um, he can, you know, go on a 20 or 30 yard run when he sees the space, uh, get into the opposition's half, and then pass uh, a nice ball. So, yeah, I think he had a, uh, the first half anyway. Uh, most of the time. It was a good reintroduction to the team. And uh, Colin, very gratifying to see Fernandinho back in his uh, accustomed role. Obviously, not going to be able to do that twice a week, but um, certainly very, very comforting. And he looks as fit as a fiddle, doesn't he? Oh, he's incredible, isn't he? 35? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, I think um, he didn't have his, his best game. Um, some of his passing went a bit astray. But yeah, it, it was great to see him back in midfield and, and doing what Fernandinho does. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray, anything else that you want to say about that first half before we that move into half, the second? There was, an, uh, there was a couple of the, um, other opportunities we had. There was one where the ball ended up, um, I think Wolves lost it in midfield. It ended up being flicked on to KDB, who ran through. Um, only the goalkeeper to beat Patricio. And uh, Patricio, uh, he, he stood tall. And uh, KDB shot hit. Uh, his shoulder and went over. You, you could argue possibly that he could have passed to Foden, who was free in the, in the area uh, around the penalty spot for what could have been his second goal. But I, I don't, um, you know, I wouldn't say that uh, KDB shouldn't have shot. But it was a good save. And then there's another opportunity. Well, it actually wasn't an opportunity. Uh, well, well, yeah, Rodri, wasn't it? Yeah, I'll let you talk about that one, Colin. Yeah, Rodri picked up, I think we got a corner, didn't we? And Rodri had picked up the ball. He was on the uh, right edge of the area. And he just sort of swiveled. And he played what looked like a, a very wayward, hopeful um, pass into the middle. But really, it was a shot. And he was trying to curl it round uh, Rui Patricio. Um, and he didn't quite get enough curl on it. But if he had done, that would have been in the back, in the, on the, you know, gone, gone him off the far post, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was quite incredible, really. Well, guys, into the second half we go, and um, uh, wasn't I seem to remember not too much to um, disturb us for about the first ten minutes, but I think probably about um, after sort of five or six minutes, um, Adama Traore started getting. I think this was the first occasion when it happened, and then it happened several times uh, later when he uh, got past uh, Mendy and Rodri actually. And uh, that then began to set a pattern, and I began to get a little bit annoyed about how easily it was, or how easy it was for uh, Triori to get past uh, Mendy. I mean, am I being a little bit unfair there, Colin? It just looked to me like Mendy 
couldn't stop crosses coming in to save his life. Uh, well, no, no, I don't think you are being unfair because I've made the same note that um, I say we have the normally when a team gets it gets a battering like Wolves did in that first half, they come out all fired up and you, you expect to be under pressure for for kind of the first ten fifteen minutes of the second half, but. We we controlled that again. We 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 carried on the way we finished the first half. We controlled that first ten minutes, and then there was that that incident where uh, Podence um, mm-hmm. w- was basically on the penalty spot, spun round and put the ball just wide. It hit the the rear stanchion. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, there was Wolves then started to come back into it, and um, again, uh, Podence had another good opportunity. Yeah, just two minutes um, later, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Nathan Ake got we, we get it was a poor pass from Mendy to start with. Nathan Ake gave um got sucked in, fo- followed his man into the um into the city uh, the, the Wolves defensive half. The ball was then quickly pinged forward. Stones had his eye on um can't remember who it was actually. Uh, was it Jimenez or Podence. Stones got a little bit too close to him. Uh, and, he, and he got turned quite. Uh, so it's Pedence, wasn't it? He got yeah. turned quite easily, uh, and Pedence tried a bit of an audacious chip, which didn't quite come off. I think ended I, up on the I, roof of the net. Uh, and then uh, you were talking about Mendy. Then um, Neto, it was, mm. um, who got past him rather too easily, and then Traore got past him rather too easily. Uh, and uh, with the Traore one, he got a really good cross in, and Jimenez really should have done better, but he skewed his shot from just outside the six yard box, I think he was. So yeah, it was a bit worrying that, you know, um Mendy who who was supposed to be a bit of a speed merchant got caught. Traore may be expected, but you know, I wouldn't have expected Neto to get past him quite as easily as he did. Yeah, right, like but, a ten a ten minute session there and there was just what what chance after chance after chance. I think uh, yeah, Collins described most of them, but yeah. Must have had about four chances because there was one I think when uh, the ball was put in and the Wolves player was it Pedence? He, he actually dummied it when I think he should yeah. have shot, um, and then the, the, sh- the shot came in from further out. He was, he was weaker, but uh, Mendy must have been skinned four or five times in that in ten or fifteen minutes. And I think Wolves, I think in my notes I said they could they had three opportunities, and quite conceivably they could have had, it could have been two two. That Pedence one, I think Stones tried to play him offside. Stones tried to step up. Um, and he just got his timing wrong. Uh, as Colin says, it didn't help that Aki had, uh, you know, folded his man into the uh, Wolves half rather than having two centre-backs there, which would have easily caught with Pedence. Uh, I don't know why Aki allowed that to happen. Obviously, every uh, you know, uh, social media blames Stones for it. And yes, he is culpable because he tried to play him offside and he was on the wrong side. But I don't think it helped that Aki just uh, disappeared Stones, to his credit, came back and put some pressure on him, and Pedence should have, you know, I think if Stones wasn't there, Pedence could have looked at at going around um, Edison instead of going for that audacious chip. But they had far too many chances, and the thing was, it was far too easy. And after the game, uh, Nuno, uh, especially Santos, their their manager, he said they did change things around. They were looking for the city. He said we did. I think he basically said we didn't work on City's pressure point. Basically, our weak pressure points that was Mendy. And the second half, I think he, Mendy was exposed a lot more often to a one-on-one. Whether it was against um, Neto, whether it was against uh, a Traore, and as Colin says, you expect it from Traore, but not Neto. And it was just too easy. It was far too easy. And you had fans on social media once again saying, "Well, Mendy was on a yellow card. He didn't want to get sent off." The number of times Fernandino's on a yellow card for about 60 minutes in a, in a season is several times. He doesn't generally get sent off and he continues to play his game. Mendy didn't play his game and it, it was far, far too easy. And, you know, it's, it's disappointing and disheartening as well to see Mendy being given a chance. Uh, he's had all summer to be fit. So, you know, if that's the fastest, fastest he's going to be, then that's got to be a huge concern, um, you know, for, for City going forwards. Yes, it's a shame actually that Mendy didn't deal quite so well with um, Traore as uh, Rodri did, because um, interesting a uh, couple of clips up on uh, Twitter uh, showing uh, Rodri uh, pushing the muscle man around a little bit actually, 
Um, but uh, Colin, after the game, um, people putting this down to um, fatigue and and things like this, uh, you wouldn't put it down to that, I would imagine. Uh, well, yeah, I think we did look tired from um, 60, 60, 70, maybe 70 minutes in. We, we did look a little bit tired. And I, I was thinking, I, I, I watched the game live last night. Um, uh, sorry, live on Monday. Monday, yeah. Um, and I watched it back just before we we're doing the podcast. Uh, and it's funny, when you watch it again, um, it looked a lot worse at first view than it did at second view. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, and certainly when you looked at the newspaper reports, it was kind of a game of two halves. Now, I don't think it was quite a game of two halves. Wolves were obviously better in the second half than they were in the first, but let's be honest, that wouldn't be difficult because they weren't in the game at all in the first half. Mm-hmm. But um, I think we, we, we uh, watching it back, we got into that, it's that dangerous 2-0 thing, isn't it? Uh, we should have learned our lesson. We, we were handling it quite well, actually, at one point. We were slowing the game down, you know, playing the ball around at the back, inviting Wolves onto us. I, I don't think we ever really lost our composure uh, in any way, certainly at second viewing. Um, Wolves had very few opportunities, but I think we just mentally relaxed about seven, I said 60 minutes, maybe about 70, 75 minutes. We mentally relaxed a little bit, and I think it showed. Um, but for the vast majority of that game, all bar the kind of a, I guess, a 10 minute period from about 55 to 65 minutes, we were in control of that game pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, Ray, 77 minutes in, and then they made a double uh, change, and Didonker and Silva came on, Neto and Moutinho were off, and a minute later then, of course, they scored. Um, describe that one for us, and also tell us if, if you thought um, this was going to be uh, like a replay of what happened <laughs> before. Um, if I remember correctly, they had a corner, um, and uh, the ball got knocked out and then put back on, on uh, wide on the right, and I can't remember who the fellow was now. He he nutmeg um KDB. He was that I forgot his name. Was it um Pudenza? A little guy. It was Pudenza, yeah. 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 He he, he nutmeg uh, KDB. Um look, he's and, a, and he's that a to me was a tired Yeah. You know, but it can happen. It can happen. You know, I mean anybody can get uh, nutmegged. Uh, you know, it reminds me of um James Milner getting nutmegged by Messi, I think. Um <laughs> With the Barcelona once, and and you could, I think Pep wasn't our manager then, and you could see his mouth agog uh, at at the audaciousness of that nutmeg. Uh, but look, he nutmeg KDB looked up, he took a touch, looked up, put a very nice cross in. Uh, and sometimes, you know, some people will be harsh, but sometimes I just say, look, it was a very nice move, nice cross, uh, and it was an excellent header because he had to put a bit of power on it to get it past. Um, you know, um, Edison from that range. Could somebody have marked him better? Possibly. Um, but sometimes give uh, the, the opposition credit. Every goal that an opposition team scores doesn't have to be based upon a mistake from the defence. Uh, and I'd like to say it was, it was probably overall it was, um, it was more a good goal than poor defending. Yeah, a couple of minutes later, quite a funny incident made me laugh anyway. It was Kyle Walker who did a kind of a rugby-style handoff on Podens, and he went down, rolling and rolling all over the place. It was just uh, a wonderful uh, performance, and then he wasn't going to get anything, so he got straight back up. But then, um, Colin Savage, we got our first look at Ferran Torres on uh, 82. Um, Can't really remember that much, but um, was there anything... Noteworthy in his little cameo. Um, yeah, there was a, a run where he, he he got past a couple of Wolves players. Um, but yeah, I mean, looked competent enough. And Sterling didn't look um too happy about being taken off. But I don't think Sterling had one of the greatest games he's ever had for us. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, and I think um when, when we talked about um that Podence incident, you know, if Sterling deserved a ban. For, for diving, then Pedence certainly deserved a ban for simulation. <laughs> indeed, indeed, um, Ray. There was not too much more in, the, in that sort of like final ten minutes, but um, uh, then all of a sudden, um, there's the goal from Gabby J. Uh, what yeah. happened there? 
Well, I mean, it started off, uh, actually, I think KDB put, uh, did a pass to Gabby G outside the box. Gabby G had a shot from about, let's say, 25 yards, which Patricio just pushed uh, wide. And then from the resulting corner, it looked like, you know, I mean, we're already, I think, injury time was almost already up. And um, from the resulting corner, it looked like nothing was going to happen. KDB and, and Gabby fought, um, you know, uh, like Tigers, Um to, to win that ball back, it, it broke to Gabby J. Um, he took a couple of touches and shot, and look, you know, he got a bit lucky. Uh, I think the goalie would have probably saved it. Uh, Gabby J was looking at the far post, hit the defender, went into the near post. Patricia had no chance. Uh, and, and I think it was um, a, a deserved goal for Gabby. I mean, he works extremely hard, like a Trojan. Um, and while some of us might decry his uh, finishing ability and you know say he's not as good as he should be, he's not as good as, good as he needs to be if he wants to lead the line, but he does work really hard. He gives you all um, the, a lot of things that Sergio doesn't. You know, he gives you that chasing lost causes like crazy uh, and that stamina. Uh, to, to think that we were in about the 94th minute and he was still fighting to win that ball back. Yes, he might go down a bit softly and too easily and start complaining, and that is a little bit infuriating. Um, you know, I just think just get up and chase the ball. But he worked so hard; he deserved that goal, I think. Um, and yeah, a three-one scoreline probably over the course of the game uh, adequately re- reflected our dominance. It did. It put a it put a nice gloss on the uh, on the result, and uh, it ushered in two more records. I was just wondering if either of you fellas can. Um... Can uh, remember well, what I can give you mm-hmm. I can give you one that we're the first team to have won on the opening our opening fixture in the Premier League for ten consecutive seasons. Mm-hmm. That's right, and um, the, these these other ones that I've um, uh, seen you are get not, some obscure records, Mike. Yeah, I mean they're not particular records as such, but um, uh, sort of milestones, I guess. Um, that's six Premier League games, one in, in a row since, um, for the first time since August uh, 2019. And um, they've, uh, in 2020, the City have now won more penalties than any other side in the English uh, top flight. Um, eight penalties. How many did we score, do you think? Okay. Of those, all, of those Five. eight? Five. Uh, not not, not far away. It's actually, it's actually four. <laughs> yeah, uh, so scored four of them, got got awarded eight, and obviously there's this other thing that keeps ticking over. It's De Bruyne's performance, of course, and um, he's now being directly involved in more Premier League goals than than anybody else. Three ahead of Mohamed Salah, actually. So he's got 35, 14 goals and 21 assists. And uh, the final thing there being the little uh, factoid about Raheem Sterling. 13 goals in 14 appearances for City since the 2019-2020 uh, season restarted. So that's 11 goals and, and two assists and uh, amazing stuff. And um, yeah, they were they're, they they have been our bogey team, Colin, but uh, nicely dispatched. That's um, our first win there in uh, since Wolves came up in this current. Yeah. Uh, yeah, first win in three seasons. Right. Okay. Right. Molyneux. Uh, Tell us about impressive or underimpressive performances by individuals. We've already talked about Mendy. I don't think we need to beat the guy anymore. Um, everybody saw it for themselves. I, uh, I think it was. Uh, I think it was. There were a lot of performances that were okay but rusty. Yeah. For me, the standout was Rodri. Mm-hmm. He was everywhere. Didn't put a foot wrong. Uh, you know, played a part in the um, second goal. Yeah. I think Stones made a couple of errors. I think ball-watching errors, uh, which was yeah. disappointing because apart from that, I thought he had a really good game. Uh, he covered for Mendy once in the first half really well. Uh, he, you know, he's showing you that you just have to stand up. And it's, it's an interesting thing. I was reading uh, something a couple of days ago that, um, let me try, I'm trying to remember the fact that um, Virgil van Dijk, if I remember correctly, has gone in for a sliding tackle. It's like something ridiculous, like four times in maybe three seasons or something like that. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, or in a certain number of minutes. And people are arguing that's the quali- that shows the quality of a defender. I think Laporte's done it three times. Um, 
And I think Maldini said if he had to tackle somebody, he was doing his job wrong. Uh, and that's, you know, so when you think about people like Otamendi diving in and, and, I mean, at least Otamendi dives in. Mendy wasn't even diving in. He was just letting the guy waltz past him, which you know, I'd have been embarrassed to if, if I'd been playing there. Uh, as I said, Stones, I think, had a couple of mistakes. Uh, but generally, he looked good. It's one of those things. If they'd scored from those two mistakes from Stones, then we'd have turned around and said, what a shocking performance. So, you know, it, a decent performance and a shocking performance uh, can sometimes hinge on whether the uh, attacker puts the ball away. But um, other performances, KDB was all right. You know, <laughs> I say all right. I mean, the guy um, scores, uh, you know, a goal, um, had a decent game, uh, got an assist, and I say he's just done all right. Mm-hmm. Colin, um, Nathan Ake that that, that um, we talked about initially um, at the top of the pod, uh, Ray didn't include him in, in that particular list there, but he looked very, very smooth. And I wonder if you're on the bandwagon of people calling for him to be deployed at left back. And, and, and do you think he's got the mobility for that? I don't know. It's too early to say. Um, and he, say we, we've talked about Mendy. Um whether we go for the the back three, he he plays on the left side of a back three. Mm-hmm. That, that that's a possible. Um, you know, he certainly looked assured. But um, to be honest, we weren't. We'll, we'll face sterner tests than that. Mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. uh, even though it was Wolves, not not to take anything away from Wolves, uh, we will face sterner tests than that. So it'll be interesting to see. I say Stones. Um, you know, a couple of mistakes, a couple of John Stones mistakes, but. Uh, you know, redeemed himself a couple of times, and you know, it, it, if we can get, you know, if we can get the the performances from Stones that we would like to get, we can save the money we're going to spend on Koulibaly or whoever, can't we? Well, it's funny. That's an interesting segue because I think we can now go uh, go straight to our transfer uh, expert. Uh, mm-hmm. You might remember, guys, that um, at the uh, at the end of the last pod, I. I basically briefly mentioned someone who'd flickered up on the radar, which is uh, Jules uh, Koundé, and um, Ray was going to look into that. And actually, mm-hmm. since that time, obviously, we've heard Julien Laurent on the um, uh, the uh, football, the Totally Football podcast, who was singing his praises and lamenting the fact that they've just, you know, France as a national team, there's so much resources in that particular area that um that uh, Kunde was on the on the cusp of a, of you know getting called up but um didn't quite make it but he feels it's absolutely going to happen it's a little bit interesting guys because as people have pointed out uh, failure to land Koulibaly you would have expected that a player with a similar profile would have been next on the list i.e. someone very experienced and with um, great leadership uh, qualities, Ray. But this guy is, um, he's 21 and he's probably about the same height as me. Um, not <laughs> not, not a giant. Um, what do you think? I, I, to be honest, it's been really difficult to get uh, from the people I normally speak to. I've got about half, there's about half a dozen people I, I, I can go to, whether they're football analysts, uh, sports journalists, um, and I've not got one um, to be able to tell me much about this kid because he spent most of his time in um, Fran- France, basically, obviously being French. That's that's um, where you are, right? You're you're actually in France, right? I'm actually actually in France. Yeah, I've only been here a month, mate. Give me a chance. Oh. <laughs> uh, and um, he's in. Um, he's obviously he spent time at Bordeaux, um, and uh, he played. I think I, I can't remember if I said this in the last pod or I've, I've done it in one of my streams. He's played a decent number of games. He's played 110 games for a kid who's 21, which isn't bad. And that's mixed between Bordeaux and Sevilla. So you, you've got to say he's got something about him. The fact that after a season and a half for Bordeaux, he was sold for 25 million euros, it, it, it tells me that Sevilla obviously thought he's got something about him. Um, he had a decent number of games with them. Nine games in the Europa League, 29 games in the league for them last season, 40 games in total. Um, yeah, he's probably about your height, six foot tall, one meter 84. Um, it's, 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 it's interesting. I'm just trying to um, 
trying to find out more about him. And that just seems to be, it's a funny thing where he's kind of slipped under the radar. And, you know, people can tell me more about uh, Carlos. It was it mm. Diego Carlos from Sevilla than they can about uh, Koundé. Uh, mm. I, I still will push it, trying to get hold of one of my friends who's a scout um, down in the south of France, uh, just trying to get some information from him. And he will know about Koundé. So I'm, I'm actually just going to make a note <laughs> um, see if I can sort that out. But it's, it's going to be interesting to see what, what's happening now about, about this kid because it, there was a rumour that we'd put in a bid of 50, 55 million or something. Um, there's a, apparently the, the director of football at Sevilla said City have had a bid rejected. This talk of 65 million euros is going to be what's required. Plus social lending, yeah. So it seems an awful lot of money, an awful yeah. lot of money that, uh, for someone who's slipped under the radar. And it, but it, it makes, I was thinking about it tonight. Are we going to be ready to pay 65 million quid, uh, euros for this kid, but we weren't prepared to pay it for Koulibaly, who pretty much was, we all believed, was uh, Pep's number one target or the number one target all summer long? Um, you know, and is the fact that we've not got that target um, annoying Pep? So much so that he's a little bit grumpier than normally in press conferences. That's how I feel he is. Um, but Jules Conde, we, we, I'd like to find out a lot more about him um, by speaking to an expert. And I'm certainly not an expert on that. But it looks like it's, I think something's got to happen. I can't believe we're going to go into next season without getting that right centre-back. Um, and whether it be uh, we... You know, do a bit of brinkmanship and get a good deal towards the end of the window, or whether we panic. I mean, initially I thought the Kunde was a panic that we were looking to flush out Napoli on um, Koulibaly, um, and then now Kunde's taken. You know, that that saga's starting to take uh, on a life of its own. Or do we end up at the at the end of the day panic buying and say, right, we'll pay you seventy million for uh, Koulibaly um, just to get the job done and get somebody in because. I can't believe Pep's going to be happy not to get somebody, especially when, if we're honest, I think most people would expect Otamendi and Garcia to leave. Uh, I think Garcia will leave once we get another centre-back. As soon as we get that man, whether it's Kondi, whether it's uh, Koulibaly, I think Garcia will leave for about €18 million. Euros. Well, uh, Ray still... Uh got a little bit of a ray of hope for Koulibaly. According to Sam Lee, Colin Savage, uh, Koulibaly, that deal is dead. Um, and especially when you think of two great signings for Liverpool in terms of Jota and, uh, of course, Alcantara, um, is Cheeky and the boys beginning to tick you off a little bit? Uh, I mean, you know, if we signed Diogo Jota for £45 million, pounds, would we be singing from the rooftops that we were nailed on to win the league again. I, I don't think so, to be honest. Um, I know it's easy for, to get frustrated at some of our perceived failings in the market, but they are only perceived. Um, I say, if we if we come out, the transfer window, we've still got two weeks. Uh, if we come out with, um, you know, a decent centre-back, then I, I think we've done OK, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think next summer we'll be, we'll be looking to replace Aguero, of course. I think the most important signing we could make this summer, uh, this window, is to tie Pep down to a new contract. Yeah. And it certainly looks like um, he's not averse to that. I mean, this is yes. as long as he's been at any uh, other club now. He says that he thinks that he has to earn it, were his words. But I think you will earn it. Um Ray, I think we should. I've got, to, I've got to say, if we honestly, if we spent forty odd million quid on Jota, okay, uh, I can guarantee fans from a club down the East Lanks Road would have said he's pants, he's rubbish. You're know, buying him forty-five million quid for someone to sit on the bench, you know. And I'm sure the criticism would have been there uh, if we'd done that. What I will say is, Cooley um, Bali, I'm not, I'm not. Um, put out much hope for the Koulibaly deal uh, don't get me wrong um, I wanted him all summer long uh, even before that once Colin had sold me on the idea that at 29 and if he's at City at, at top class for about four years or four or five years who cares what his age is and you know, you know and I kind of uh, went along with that line I agreed with it um, my mind can be turned um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not binary you know I've got or I'm not tribal I've got my 
I, I pick what my idea is and I'm going to stick to it. You know, you've got to leave your, you've got to be open enough to, to change your mind. Um, but the thing is with Koulibaly, I don't think we're going to pay the money. That, that's, I think that's the key. I, I just don't think, um, or it's going to go right to the last couple of days before one party uh, flinches. But I, I will say, I will say this to the people um, who are criticising our, our dealings. You know, we, as we've said in the past, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You know, we are between last season and this season a hundred million pounds out of pocket. A hundred million pounds because, well, I think when we discussed it last time, I said we're between nineteen and hundred. We are a hundred million pounds because you will remember. As someone reminded me, the CAS, what happened at CAS? We ended up being fined 10 million euros. So I guess we have to pay that at some point quite soon uh, if we've not already paid it. So we will be 100 million quid short between last year. A quid a week we're paying it, I'm told. Sorry? Quid a week? A a quid a week, yeah. (laughs) Uh, That's like Liverpool's transfer activity, isn't it? Quid a week. Um, But, but you know, so we don't know what's going on. And I've said in the past, we don't know what agreements the club has with players, okay? We don't know. People having to go... I, I, I understand the the annoyance that Angelino's been, you know, going for about 18 million euros. Um, that's what he can be bought for next summer by RB Leipzig, who have just spent a lot more than that on somebody else after claiming poverty, apparently. And Angelino's in the squad of... You know, Champions League squad of the season. And people say it's worth 40 million. But we still don't know if did Cheeky or is there an agreement with Angelino that we said to him last summer? I mean, he didn't have to come back. I, I guess we had that option of a buyback, but he could have just said, "Get stuff. I don't want to come back." Did we have an agreement with him and say, "Look, we need you as cover for Mendy because uh, he's uh, injured at the start of the season"? But if you come along, you know, you've had a great season at uh, PSV. And it looks like you've got some options um, in front of you. But come to us. We want you for six months, maybe, just to cover for Mendy in case he breaks down again. Um, and if he breaks down, then you're, you're going to be playing. If he, do, you know, if he doesn't break down, then we'll let you go out on loan and we'll let you go for 20 million euros. So we won't make it difficult for somebody else to sign you. Now, we don't know if that's an agreement that's been made, a gentleman's agreement or something in a contract. Um, because if, if I was Angelino, I'm thinking, well, I was, I've been at Man City for, what, three or four years? I've been on loan to New York City FC. I've been on loan to Girona. I've been on loan to um, PSV. I can't remember if we went to NEC Breda as well. I've been on loan all my time at City. I've hardly played three or four games for you guys in four years. Now I've had a cracking season at PSV. I can either stay at PSV and carry on developing my career or I can go to um, another club that are knocking on the door, looking at me, uh, pay some big money and, and, and continue my evolution as a, as a player and development. Or I can come back to City as a, and be second or third choice. It doesn't strike me as something that I'd, what I'd be you know, rushing to come back to City unless there is something like a gentleman's agreement. But one thing I will say, we started off the window like a house on fire. We got Nathan Ake, okay, to cover for... Um, well, to cover possibly for Otamendi leaving. Um, we got Ferran Torres to cover for uh, da- um, Leroy Sane not being around. We didn't replace David Silva, but you could argue you know, that's partly going to be because we've got Foden coming through. We've got Bernardo Silva who can play there and sometimes Gundogan if we need him. And you could say we, we, we it, it maybe didn't need to cover that. We, we let Bravo go. We've got Zach Stefan in and hopefully we'll see him uh, on in the Carabao Cup and see how what you can do. So we'd filled up some of the gaps that we'd got. There were two signings that we looked like we, we were going to get. And if, you, if you'd asked us, what, a month ago, most of us would have, were expecting Lionel Messi to come and we were expecting Kalina Koulibaly to come. Now, I put it to you, if we'd got Messi and Koulibaly with Torres and Ake, that would have been one of the best transfer windows in City's history that I can remember. Um, and we'd have plumped up our defence with Koulibaly and Ake, and we have, obviously we have got Laporte, Stones and, and whoever, Tiller Howard Bell is coming through. And if we'd got Messi, arguably we'd have been, uh, impro- uh, improved our firepower either on the right or in the middle. It would have, I think we'd have got a lot more goals. I mean, 102 goals, if that wasn't enough, I think we'd have got uh, quite a bit more because Messi is just that good. 
And what people have been complaining about, Cheeky, oh, you know, it's uh, he, he's lame and he's this and that. I think it's just partly dealing with Napoli is an absolute pain in the neck, dealing with De Laurentiis. And the Messi thing, I, I believe we thought that was going to happen. I think we thought that was uh, all pretty much done and dusted uh, from wide heard behind the scenes. Uh, that's things that were going on in Manchester, getting ready for Messi to come. And I, I just think it, it all boiled down to Messi didn't want, you know, we, we, I think City probably believed as well that Messi could go on a free. Once Messi doesn't want to fight in court to get away from um, Barcelona, there's nothing City could do. So we, we lost out on two huge transfers there, which I think probably we thought, you know, even we discussed it, we said Messi was a 9 out of 10. Um, and I think City would have probably thought something similar. And also, Koulibaly. So if we'd got them, people would, I don't think people would be giving Cheeky and, and, and anybody else um, any stick. And finally, just just thinking about the Wolves game, there was a lot of negativity on social media. A heck of a lot of negativity. A lot of people that needed blocking, um, quite a few. The people just You just find a thread where it says Cheeky out or having to go up Pep or having to go up somebody. And you just go and have a look at the names and just block them because it's, there's no point arguing with imbeciles. Um, they've got a lot more experience of being stupid than we have. And but those people suddenly we've beaten Wolves. It's got it's got it's very quiet on social media. I haven't seen a lot of negativity uh, straight after the Wolves game because we've won and we've won overall. I think reasonably comfortably. A couple of scares aside, and all the a lot of the the naysayers and the negativity. It, it's it's all gone silent. Maybe it's because I blocked them all. It's gone very, very quiet. Mm-hmm. Well, Colin Savage, let's uh, move on because the next game is against Bournemouth and uh, Pep says he's playing the kids. Looking at the substitutes bench for the game against Wolves, Stefan, Ferran Torres, Mares, Otamendi, Delap, Tommy Doyle, Bernabe, would you expect pretty much all of those to be in the lineup? Uh, yeah, um, it's a simple answer. I expect all of those to start. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? If, well, I'm sure someone else will start, yeah. <laughs> We're going to yeah. Um, yeah. Um, who else will start? I don't know. Um, I'm not sure what the situation with Laporte, Can- Cancelo was nowhere to be seen. Um, I think I, I think it's just depend on on injuries. Is, is Bernardo still injured? Yeah. Is Cancelo still injured? Bernardo was yeah, another one. Is Laporte nowhere ready? To be seen. Uh, is Laporte ready to come back, or would you rest him till the weekend? I'm tempted to rest him. Maybe have him on the bench and let him have 15 or 20 minutes at the end if we're comfortable. Um, it, yeah. you know, if, you, if, you, if you try and work out um, where on the pitch we can have players. I mean, Zinchenko wasn't, was injured as well, I think. So, you know, we could bring uh, the, uh, him, 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 him in if, if they're fit. You know, and straight away we've got, I think, a, still a, a pretty strong team. I think the question for me is who plays right back? Who plays left back? If Cancelo's back, does he play right back? Do you play as uh, a kid calls it Dionku? Do you let him play? He looks quite exciting. Is there a space for Cole Palmer? Taylor Howard Bellis? Um, you know, for for me anyway, I, I I'd like to see five or about five kids play and three or four of the more senior players, and then maybe um Ferran Torres as well. You know, he's kind of in between the two camps. Yeah, I'd be sort of um you you get the vibe from Pep that he's he's he might possibly be blowing off this competition this particular year, unlike previous years. Uh, Colin, he's been generally a bit of a miserable sod in interviews, and um, perhaps I mean that has contributed to the kind of the, the sort of sense of pessimism around the season opener. Obviously, things are better now because we've won a very difficult tie out of the way and away fixture. Not that. Anything is uh, really truly away with no um, opposition supporters, but yeah, what what what's this cloud over over Pep at the moment? Do you think, or maybe he's still suffering, obviously emotionally from the loss of his mother? Maybe we're being a bit unfair, but the way he's come across uh, you know, in interviews, don't, don't know. We we don't know, do we? Really, um, could mm. be you know, could be his personal life. Could be maybe he's a bit hacked off. We're not getting. Players he wants I, I, could be all the injuries we're getting. I, I don't know. Um, who who knows? Um, he just, do you do you get the impression hacked off with the media? I don't know. Do you get the impression that maybe he's not taking the uh, Carabao Cup that seriously this 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 term? 
I don't think it's in Pep's nature to not take something seriously, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I think we will see. Yeah, I think probably we'll we'll see Mares, Otamendi, um, Torres, um, and someone else I was thinking of um, start tomorrow night. Maybe mm-hmm. you know one or, one or two of the players have come back from injury. Um, but I think yeah, I think we'll see five or six, five maybe six youngsters start tomorrow night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, another thing that um, we learned, Ray, was that uh, Mr. Johnson has put the kibosh on uh, any notion of um, fans returning to stadiums, yeah. even in, in small numbers. That's a bit of a disappointment. Um, well, I, I, to be honest, it was to be expected the way things have been going in the last um, six, six, seven weeks. It, it just it looked inevitable. It looked like a fall on hope. Apparently, behind the scenes, a lot of the clubs did already... Uh, a few weeks ago, had uh, resigned themselves to, to no fans. Uh, looks like there's probably no chance uh, until next year. So people are talking March uh, at the earliest. Some are saying we might not get anybody at all in grounds this season at a high level of game. Um, there's also the issue of players and managers and coaches and staff testing positive for COVID-19. You know, we've had the issue with West Ham, where um, they turned up, they turned up in two or three coaches for their game um, in, in the League Cup, in the Carabao Cup. And once they got off the coach, uh, they'd already been tested the day before or something, and the results came back. And David Moyes and two of the players tested positive, so they had to be uh, dispatched. It was against Hull, I think, and Hull had to accept or, or be comfortable with the protocols that. West Ham had uh, gone through and their procedures uh, to be uh, comfortable that hopefully none of the other West Ham players had it or the staff and could have passed it on to Hull because uh, obviously then that des- it could if you're passing the virus around between different clubs it's decimating your squad so they went ahead with uh, the game we had Spurs against uh, or- Leighton Orient that was called off because I think Leighton Orient had a few players who had come down with COVID-19. So this is another issue where it's going to start, it could potentially start affecting games. I mean, if you if you go back back to March, when football was actually called off, it was called off because probably the main thing was Mikel Arteta tested positive uh, and the City-Arsenal game was called off uh, because of that. Could this start happening again? Obviously, the clubs are going to fight tooth and nail not to allow it to happen because... They've lost, they've lost enough money in it as it is. They do not want to be in a situation where they have to give a rebate to the uh, TV companies again because uh, obviously that's cost cost them a lot of money last time. So it's a very difficult situation for everybody, and uh, you know I, I I can see it getting worse before it gets better. Mm-hmm. Well, Colin, let's uh, finish off just with a little retrospective um, because uh, obviously everyone was um, uh, looking back to the. Main Road Massacre, because, of course, it was on the 23rd of September 1989 when yours truly was um, a fresh-faced young uh, 20-year-old, that um, Alex Ferguson um, basically went home and put the duvet over his head and uh, wouldn't get out of bed. Um, You remember what you were doing on that day? Were you actually at that game? No, I wasn't. Uh, 1989, wasn't it, did we Mm -hmm. say? September, yeah. It's the 23rd September. Mm-hmm. Where would I have been? And Ray, you no, asked... no, it was it was it was a time when I wasn't going um, regularly at all. So, um, uh-huh. but, really? but of course, you know, I, I think one of the great things about winning a derby match is when you win it com- very comfortably, or you know, emphatically, uh, when you not don't expect to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was a time, uh, Ray, when um, I think United had. Uh, uh, had spent a lot of money. Michael Knighton was um, rumored to be taken over. It was uh, a brace for David Oldfield. Do you remember that game, or were you at it? No, I, I was. Uh, I, I was in. I would have been in Liverpool, uh, just going back for my final year at university. So it would have been around that time. I, I suspect uh, end of um, September, because we were. Yeah, we were living in a house. And so I would have gone back a little bit early for that to sort um, stuff out over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think 
also my, one of my friends who, who lived with us, he was uh, getting engaged. So we had to go to his party. Um, and, you know, these things you've got to do for your mates. Um, so yeah. Um, quiz questions, guys. Quiz questions. Who was City's manager on the day? Um. <laughs> oh, well, I caught them out. I've caught them out, guys. Peter Reid. I can't remember. No. No. Oh, well, I, can hear, I can hear the keyboard going. <laughs> Take us out of our Brian Hall. Uh-huh. <laughs> no. no, it was Mel Machen, guys. Mel Machen. Uh, who, who scored the great goal for United? The one goal oh, that they did score. Uh, I, actually, I, I saw that. I, I retweeted the video, so it was Mark Hughes with a scissors, bicycle yeah. kick. Um, right. I, I, I will say this. I'm going to say this because uh, I was watching the, the Everton Fleetwood game tonight. At least when Mark Hughes did that kick, it was spectacular. It was in the opposite corner. It was a cracking goal. If you watch... Jordan Pickford tonight and the overhead kick that he let in, which went straight to him, and he somehow managed to fumble it. He, 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 I'm just going to say he's got nice to do with City, but he's certainly not England's number one. He made two glaring errors. He was dispossessed by the, um, an attacker when he was trying to control the ball for their Fleetwood's first goal, and he, he fluffed a, a ball that went straight at him and kind of just pushed it into the corner uh, for their second. So. Um, but at least, Mark, as I said, Mark Hughes, it, 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 was a, it was a cracking goal from Mark Hughes. Who scored two goals for City on that day? David Oldfield, you just told us. That's right. And also, um, what was funny about that day uh, was Gary Pallister. He was, the, uh, I think, the most expensive uh, player in the league, and he was made a right mug by uh, Oldfield and Trevor Morley and uh, the rest of the, the guys there. What a great day that was. And, of course, that... That particular date, 23rd of September, 89, is the source of uh, so many City fans' internet passwords. So it wouldn't be uh, <laughs> too hard too hard to um, hack into the, uh, the the finances there if you were so minded, I guess. But um, City's uh, lineup on that day, Paul Cooper, Fleming, Hinch, Hinchcliffe, yeah. uh, Bishop, Bishop uh, Gale, Redmond, David White, Trevor Morley, David Oldfield, Ian Brightwell, and... Uh, Lane, I think it was. Yeah, Lane. And um, Beckford was a, a sub who came on yeah. in 79. If, you, if you've seen the goal, it, 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 the, the final goal was a cross from David White, uh, an early cross from David White, and Hinchcliffe came out of nowhere. It, yeah, semi, it's a semi makes you think back to, what was it, Pelle Pastor Jorginho, uh, who came out of off the screen to leather it in, was it the 1970 World Cup? Um, but this, this was it was kind of like that where he, he came from nowhere to head this ball in. Um, it was a fantastic finish. I actually played with uh, played a game of football with Andy Hinchcliffe many many years ago. Got a good quote here from Gary Pallister after the game. Um, uh, he described Alex Ferguson as being in shock and practically speechless. And he remembers returning to training on Monday at the Cliff after spending the weekend in Middlesbrough with his family. And he says there was no security. And when I walked from the uh, dressing room, there were four burly United fans waiting for me outside the door and told me I wasn't fit to wear the shirt and we shouldn't have sold Paul McGrath. I was a disgrace <laughs> to I was a disgrace to the club, the whole treatment. He says, I thought it was just me, but it turned out that all the lads had got abuse from these guys and, you know, they ripped into us and it was really frightening. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of like a, almost like a, you know, a forerunner of um, what would happen with them. Um, you know why always me and the and the six one at uh, at their place um, years and years and years and years later. But um, anyway, it was a good memory, so um, I'm grateful that people um, put it up and shared it on Twitter. But I think that's us, guys. I think we're pretty much done. So um, I think we'll leave it here, and we'll be back with you um, pretty shortly um, after the next game or two. But uh, time to wrap it up here and just uh, thank our two. Uh, BFTB contributors for coming on. So, Ray, thank you so much for taking time out to come on the BFTB pod. Absolutely fantastic. I've loved it once again. I'm just going to go out to, uh, to do some night fishing right now. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes, I think that you're um, probably taking the Michael out of Michael here, aren't you? Okay. Yeah, uh, I am actually. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's just referring to my uh, newly acquired habit of um, angling out here old man's in, uh, habit uh, old, old man's habit out here in uh, South Korea because I've got a new apartment just out by the ocean on the coast 
great one. Just the just the way to finish it off. Also, uh, you've been listening to Colin Savage. Colin, thank you so much for coming on. It's a pleasure. I'm not going fishing. I'm hitting my bed. And I think that's a very good idea. It's um, 8.10 in the morning in uh, South Korea. And, of course, it is – what is it over there, Colin? What time is it over there? It's just after midnight. Just after midnight. Well – uh, my dear, our dedication knows no bounds. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, guys, we'll leave it there and finish off in the normal way. And uh, don't forget to have one on us and up those blues. Up those blues, guys. <laughs> It's about time that your mind took a heart